Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field, like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have access to hundreds of developers, and we're waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable, full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Whether you have a software project already or want to quickly augment your team, or you have a software idea, give us a call and we can get you going in a few days at no risk. Today on the Big Break Software Podcast, I have Marco Hojian of Taya Translations, an AI platform that helps their clients with faster translations with human services assisting with the translations. Marco will tell us how he came up with the idea for Taya, how the MVP was funded, where and how he gained his first few customers, and was able to navigate his zero to product market fit journey to earn uh, 1 million euros ARR and beyond. How are you today, Marco? Very well. So as usual, overwhelmed with meetings, um, just a lot of work. The task list never gets done, but otherwise, that's great, right. Well, healthy. hopefully, a podcast is a nice break from that. Even though it's a meeting, it's sort of a loose. You know, it's for me, it's sort of brain candy. You know, you just, you know, sit back and relax and just have a, a friendly conversation with another entrepreneur. So, welcome to the show. Why don't you start off by uh, giving us a quick breakdown on what exactly Taya Translations does for its like what what problem does Taya translations solve say that Google Translate or uh, the some of the other ones can't do. Yeah, uh, easily. So Taya in general is a translation platform. We're both focused on B two B, so medium to big size companies, and uh, we solve actually many things. So if you look at the market itself, how can you translate things? You have one one side where you can use, for example, Google Translate. When that would be like, say, like a private, like just a private individual that was sending like a, a no-risk email to a friend or something, exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly. And then you have the other spectrum where you have high-quality human translations, which are done by professional translators and, of course, accompanied by translation agencies. So we are actually a, um, a platform that combines everything, which means that because we've seen that companies have different needs at different times. Sometimes company today, one department needs high quality human translation. The other times they need high quantity machine translation and so on. So firstly, we're, we have optimized the whole process of ordering translations. So it's very simple, drag and drop any kind of document, almost any kind. We support almost 70 file types. The document is immediately analyzed and then you choose your service your uh, rate of quality, your time that you need it in, and your order, and everything is very transparent and safe. And because of the, this automation, we can be much more efficient and cheaper. And then the other part is that the big trend is coming in the industry because of automation and machine translation, and it enables companies to translate on their own, to insource it. And we have developed a tool that uh, enables companies to insource that, which means that the problem, the process is actually the same, drag and drop the document in the app and the document is immediately pre-translated by the MT and you just post edit the text, click finish and you receive the document back in the same formatting. So imagine having a 100 page catalog or a PowerPoint presentation or even a PDF or a code um, exported from the app, a JSON mm -hmm. file, an HTML and so on. So the formatting stays intact. So our main USP is, of course, is speed, simplicity, formatting, and file types that we support together with security. So which means that files aren't set over sent over emails, but of course okay. everything is in secured um, cloud. Okay, that's a, that sounds pretty straightforward. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but um, say so. For example, what would be 
You mentioned medium to enterprise clients. So what would be sort of the cost for this seat? Like what's your, what is your tiered pricing? Sure. So it depends what you choose. If uh, you, when you come into our app, we actually ask you a simple question. Would you like to outsource the translation job or do you want to do it yourself? If you outsource the business model is pay per word, which means that you choose the, the level of quality and the time you need it in and it is automatically uh, calculated if so the paper word. So for example, one word costs, the translation of one word okay. can cost 10 cents, for example. It depends on the level that of quality. That would be on the high end, one I presume, right? Because that sounds like to me like on the high end, yeah. <laughs> High end, exactly. That's for the TEP called yeah. translation, editing, and proofreading of a text. While the uh, software tools are a subscription based, so a subscription model going off from 40, we operate mostly in euros, but in dollars as well. So 40 euros per, per month up to 140 euros per month. It depends on a package that you choose. So it's user based and how many. Okay, words so, you need. so for example, um, the one that's 40 per month, you get, say, like 100,000 words or something like that, and, and it's based that way, correct? Yeah, exactly. So more 10,000 words per month you get, and um, of course, everything else is unlimited, and uh, you can use it, and of course, it's, it speeds up the, the whole process. So uh, what we have learned that post-editing, instead of just translating or copy-pasting from Google Translate, Amazon, or anywhere else, is four times faster with our tool. You drag and drop a document, you post edit the text, you click finish and you have your okay. formatted document. Uh, I'd like prepared. to get into sort of like some accuracy because I'm sure, you know, the one thing that I know about um, at least translating things into English. So if I took, say, like a French um, block of copy and I translated into English, there's different interpretations that can come from... Um, you know, from using, say, like uh, AI or machine learning algorithm. Um, and, and it really sort of is depends on almost like the, 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 the author's intent. Um, can you speak to me like in terms of like the accuracy of what, say, like a Google Translate would be compared to um, some, of the, some of the other ones in your service? Like what, what kind of accuracy rate are you generally um, giving your customers? Sure. When it comes to MT, the, the answer is not simple. So in the world, there are about 15 now very good neural networks, I would say, that are available for or public use or even private use. And then companies or LSPs create Sorry, custom Can I just interject? MT when you use, for, when for you use the term MT, so, is that machine translated? Is that what that term is? Okay. I just wanted to clarify that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm a bit... It comes uh, with the... Yeah, uh, it comes with, uh, yeah, no worries. With yeah, work. Yeah. So, machine translation. So, um, some companies or LSPs use public neural networks or MTs for their own use and some build their own. To build your own, you need your own corpora, so a data set which has to be quite large. And usually, uh, the better the data set, the better the output. So, firstly, if we speak about publicly available free or not free, so most of them are not free, uh, MTs, it really depends on language combinations and branches. So when we speak about quality, the quality can be, if I would put it in, in percentage, from 90% correctness to 99, I mean 60% correctness up to 99% correctness. So there are cases where you input a document, I don't know, an official legal document, you get it back, uh, even from a service like Google Translate, and it is remarkably correct because the input data for that kind of um, uh, text was already input. So the more the text is technical or rigid, the better the empty output is. The more the text is creative, like marketing text, literature, and so on, the worse the, the output is. So there's a big variety, but this variety of, of course is narrowing down. So the quality is getting better, not month by month, but actually week by week. And this is being enhanced by custom empty engines. So what we're doing, for example, we're combining different neural networks. So we're connected to them. So we're trying to source the best part of each one. Plus we're building our own, our own custom engines. And on top of that, there is an older technology that we're combining. It's called translation memory. 
It's a very simple tag where you have a segment of text and once you translate it, you know that it's 100% correct because it's been translated by a professional translator. So for example, we build a special corpora for each customer. So which means that what we translate for each customer, it goes into the machine translation, plus it goes into the TM and whatever has already been translated, we don't need to translate again. And the same with the catapult, so the, the tool where people translate on their own, whatever they have translated, they will see next time if the same segment or a similar segment has been translated, they will see it. So they don't need to do the double work and okay, the quality, so, of course, is so higher. So what would you say that um, in general, like the, it sounds like the, the custom one is 100% accurate because that's human translated. And then the, the SAS packages that you have, what, what sort of accuracy we're, we're talking about 90 to 99% is that is sort of the range that you would say and it's based on whether it's creative or technical so the MT the uh, the accuracy yeah, of the accurate, machine yeah. translation I can I can give you the average I could yeah. say 90% Again. but this is far-fetched because some some based on much whether worse, it's creative or, or, or if you translate for example so. English yeah okay exactly and then First language combination. So for example, world biggest world languages are very well supported. English to French, the outputs are amazing. While if you go, I don't know, English to one of the African languages that, that is only spoken there, for example, okay, the, the output enough. is much okay, worse. That makes because sense. the data sets now, are, um, why'd you come up why'd you come up with this idea? How did you get involved in this? Mm. So before that, my partner and I had a language school, which was here in a local language school in, in Slovenia, Ljubljana. And at the time, we started getting first requests for translations as a language school. And we actually started a sort of traditional translation agency. But very quickly, we realized that we can only compete with price. So there, there are no USBs. And since uh, we are, we consider ourselves as tech savvy, we quickly figured that the whole market is very much outdated. So still today, this was four years ago, and still today we see that more than 80% of the market is covered by traditional translation agencies that operate in an old fashioned way, which for example, let me give you an example. You, you need a translation, you find an agency on Google, you send them an email. They, they tell you, okay, send us the file, you send them the file, they put a file in a, in a software to analyze it, they use another software to create a quote, they send you a quote. Yeah, yeah. You, you catch my drift. So uh, a lot of time is being lost and a lot of manual work. And then when you, when we, if we would dissect the whole process down the road, you would see that a lot of manual work is being done. But that was a, a previous concept of an agent. So an agent did all that work and organized your stuff. But now all of that can be automized. And in general, in all the industry, the, the profession of an agent is dying. It doesn't matter if you're a real estate agent, translation agency, whatnot. Automation is impacting the, the agent as a profession because all of this work can be automized. And this is what how we started within okay, the Okay, so that was four years ago. Yeah. And you guys had a language school. Um, are you sort of polyglots? Is it, is it sort of um, in terms of, uh, I mean, how many languages do you speak? I would, wouldn't consider us as, as polyglots uh, either way. So I, I'm a, an economist. My, my partner is, he studied Chinese. That is so. But uh, now when, when I see our team, most of the team studied the, languages. That, so that, you, that there's an true. interest in language, right? I mean, it, it, I mean, some people just have an aptitude for language. They have an interest in it. Um, would you character, characterize yourself as, as someone that does have an interest in languages? Of course, yeah. otherwise I wouldn't be in this business. So it's okay. business in combination with languages. Yeah. Firstly, I didn't know. So um, I was interested. I'm a serial entrepreneur in general. So I was interested in entrepreneurship. But when you get into the language industry, it really starts to open up. Just to give you a, a, an example, the language industry is $50 billion in size and it's bigger than the music industry. But since it's not, it's not that sexy as music, People don't even know, but but it it's it's really vast and it's changing so much because the, the uh -huh. tech is influencing the, the industry. So it's so. No, I think I just finished. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the, his work, Benny Thomas. Um, 
his work, the Irish guy that did I Talk Guy, and um, which is a great SAS that I use. So I know it's big business, and I know I'm sure he's doing very, very well with with his SAS and his writing and stuff. But it, he's definitely like into the language. You know, he likes going and diving in. He's learning Hungarian. When you know, I I don't. You know, his language is probably up to like ten or something. Um, you know, so I that's what I imagine. Um, you know the the, the the sort of language nerds that get into this stuff, and because um, it, it is very interesting, you know, and and you do get a lot by learning language. So that's essentially the type of people that are attracted to um, Taya. Yes. So, uh, for example, when we when we get applications for different jobs, if it's office administrations or or dev, people usually are interested in languages. So okay. there, there right. is a and correlation. So what? Um, let's let's get into the mvp um like what sort of how did the mvp evolve you you guys came up with this idea you saw that there was an inefficiency because people are sort of you know maybe copying and pasting and using word docs and you know trying to do you know manually figure out word counts um what was the what was the sort of starting point like for the mvp like what was the core problem and um and and walk me through the MVP. Did, did how did you guys fund it? Did you have some? Did you do some pre-sales? You know anything like that? Sure. So as I mentioned, we started as a traditional agency, which means that we we did stuff uh, like everyone else. So immediately we we found that that's something that we don't want to do. So we started writing the whole process, how it goes from the the point where we receive a file and then when we return the the translation. And the first uh, USP that we found that we could solve is actually connected to efficiency and of course speed, which means that we were thinking, how can we make the process of the, the file flow from the customer to the PM, to the translator, to the proofreader, and then back um, faster and optimized. So that was actually the point of the first MVP. So that the customer just drag and drop the file, received an immediate quote, confirmed it, the file went immediately to the PM or even the dedicated translator, the translator confirmed, they started translating, when they clicked finish automatically without waiting, it went to PM for a final check and then to the customer. So speed was the first thing that we really wanted to solve and, and we did and actually since it was a, a front end at the beginning, it was very interesting for customers to see. At the time we didn't have anything else so we said look, See, the first part, the, the analysis and the quote is, is so much more efficient and so much faster for us and for you. Can you imagine how much we can make the rest more efficient? And they said, yeah, this is great. So uh, it was okay, easy so it to sounds like it was really customers. easy translation. You were an agency, you transitioned to a SaaS. Um, can you talk to me about sort of the, trans, the transition between agencies to SaaS, like what sort of revenues were you doing at the time with the agency? How many people were there? Was it just you and your co-founder, mm -hmm. or um, what was the sort of uh, what like what was the situation when you were an agency, and how long did it take for you to do the MVP? The agency, I guess, was funding from cash flows um, to build the SaaS. Is that how you funded it? Uh, almost. So, firstly, we, the, the company was founded in 2017 and my, my partner and I were ignorant enough to do it in a way that we hired a CEO and said, now you're going to do everything, this is the idea and that's it. So, we actually were working on other project, projects at the time. So, this didn't work out, the, the company made 10,000 euros of revenue monthly, so it was just peanuts. So in at the beginning of 2018, I stepped in the company because I really believed in the idea and that's where the idea actually was starting to get born. So at the time when we made the, um, made the concept, we received our pre-seed funding of 200,000 euros. That was in summer of 2018. And in autumn of 2018, the MVP was born. So uh, that's when we actually became Thai and started to sell Thai. Even though I say we're four years old, we're actually about three years old. And from, from then on, the actual growth and development starts. And then, um, so at the time, there was a team of three people and then it became a team of five people. 
And in October 2020, so just one year ago, we received our second pre-seed funding of 1.2 million. And that's where we really started to grow. So today we are a um, team of 34 full-time uh, spreading across Europe. So UK, Spain, Slovenia, Cyprus, different uh, because we, we onboard internationally. Um, and, and recently our new head of sales is American. And um, we are planning to generate 1 million euros of revenue this year. 3.5 next year and previous year 2019 we generated 300,000 so which means that for now each year we're planning to triple our uh, no, not not to triple so yeah to triple yeah. our um, okay which is revenue. great um, yeah. okay so um, so where'd you get that initial investment so it was here a, when you say a here, local firm it Slovenia. was a Swiss You're saying angel Slovenia. Okay. investor yeah, yeah. So um, Slovenia is very much in the center of Europe, so everything is in Europe is close to us. So it's two. We need two hours to Venice, four hours to uh, to Munich or Vienna. So everything. So the the center of Europe, the heart of Europe, is very close. So our first in investor was actually sort of Slovenian Swiss. So a Swiss company invested. At the beginning, it was more trust into the founders than the the idea itself, but that later changed. What do you changed. mean later changed? I think that's very, very well, common how, for how did, very how did early it startups. Sorry? That the, the investors started to believe the idea. So when we started, they said, okay, the uh, there are millions of agencies, millions of translators, the MT is developing. How are you going to, how are you going to um, compete with that? So we needed to prove that our hypothesis of the okay. niche is, um, is valid. Why did you need money? I mean, m maybe that's a simple. I mean, you had other jobs. Um, did you feel like, um, like, why did you need money? Okay. Mm -hmm. Development, developers. So development is expensive. So we put in approximately 100K. We didn't have any more money. So we needed an external investment. So okay, so and, and how was that in terms of like your, um, how, how did you do the valuation? Um, you don't have to give me exact numbers, but what sort of equity breakdown um, did you have to give your, your initial founders? Sure, sure. So it's easy. So the valuation at, at the time was a bit less than 1 million euros. They took so, 20%. Um, I think every investor would agree with me. Evaluations of startups are something that is just no. It's pie in the sky sometimes. So uh, usually, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was similar with us. So we had financial projections there, but of course they were projections because you don't know if the the idea will fit on the market and so on. So as I said, mostly I think it's the trust in the team in founders plus the idea, plus the projections, and you come up with, with a and, number. And, and how so. difficult was it was for you to find that funding? I mean, um, was it a client or where was, um, where did the, where did you find them? It was actually very difficult. So I think to find the first investment, it's much more difficult than you find to find your third or fifth, because at the beginning, you really need to persuade someone to, to trust you as a person mostly. Because, for example, at the time, uh, the, the, the second investment we got from uh, Phil Rouge Capital, and for example, we spoke to them even before the first investment, and they weren't interested. But then when we proved some traction and revenue, they started to get interested, and, and later on, they, they came in a, in a much higher valuation. But it is how it is. So uh, the, the earlier you come in, the more, you, the more risk you take on. Okay. The, so, so talk to me about some of the difficulties that you had finding it. Like, how long were you looking for investment? Um, I look quickly into your your background. You have an interesting background, particularly the um, the crisis management stuff that you did. I think that um, I'd like to hear more about that. But um, were you doing that at the time, and is that what you stepped away from to 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 get into the into the translation stuff? Exactly. So my my personal, I don't know. Mm, strong points are in, in two sides. One is leading growing companies, I can say now. Uh, and the other is leading or helping 
comp insolvent companies that are very much in debt or, or in a deep crisis. So th those are my two personal expertise. So before Thai, I was actually running a company like that. So just to give you a perspective, I needed to personally lay off 60 people one-on-one. -on -one. So um, it, it was quite a big company. So you were sort time, of a hired per gun to come in and lay and these I, people off. Is that is that right? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Exactly. So just running an insolvent company is not easy because uh, at some points you are personally even um, responsible for the actions. It's not a limited responsibility anymore when it comes to insolvency. So it's quite tricky. So at the time I was there then because I saw a, a big potential in Thai, I came here. And uh, when it comes to investment, yeah, it, it wasn't easy, but I think I think we had some luck with it. So for the first, for each of the investments, we didn't need much time. So people usually say you need at least six months from the point where you start to the point where you get the term sheet, and then another three months to get money on your on your account. With us, I think it was um, it was less. So with the first investment, I think we closed it in in three months. With the second in six months, but uh, we could have closed it much sooner. But there were some just administrative problems that we needed to solve. Otherwise, um, it could be done. In where were you at well. revenues when you went? Uh, like, how far along was the MVP, and and like how many customers did you have when you went to? Because if it took, you know, sort of, you said three months. Um, like, where at what point you you decided that it's like okay we need to go get funding how far along was the mvp at that point when you decided um that you needed to to go get funding and then how like where was the cost you know just and the mvp wasn't made so we had sort of a demo so a, a demo a landing page which showed the main functionalities so with the demo how it works we actually pitched the idea and with the money, uh, okay. So you didn't have, you didn't even have the MVP so the ready. Time, you were an agency uh, at this time, okay, okay. And then you just no. sort of had a you had like yeah, a, a demo, which was yeah. what like a, a mock up and a PDF or something like that. And okay, yeah, yeah. It, it was an online demo. It actually worked, but it it was ugly and just uh, so okay. You could okay. Understand and so what the, the Swiss company um, uh, invested the two hundred thousand. How long did that last? Um, you until you were looking for more funding were you using your own cash flow at, at one point to sort of fund the business yeah so the majority of money went to development we spent it in a bit more than six months but at the time the the monthly revenue started to grow so we were able to to live a bit longer so um then immediately and that was June 2020. We started looking for the second investment, and in October we okay, got the funds so, on um, our account. And then, um, and when did you start? When did you just? How long was the transition between when you first got funded to uh, to 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 the second round? Because you said you just closed. Eh? Was it like two years or something? So um, uh, sorry, when you did the you the the second fundraising? That you did the second seed round when did that happen and how long was the transition between the two rounds mm -hmm. so the first one was in summer 2018 and then the the second one was in october closed i mean the money got on our account in october 2020 okay so two years and two years and in that time you, it sounds like a year and a half you were sort of maybe a year you were running on cash flow is that correct okay and um, That's right. at that time I mean was it always your intent to to to, to, to raise money or was because it, it sounds like maybe at one time you were thinking about bootstrapping was, was there um, can you tell walk me through sort of like that transition from bootstrapping to going to the um, raising the investment? Um. Exactly. So um, when we build the MVP, we figured that we're going to need much more funds to build something that is really useful. So it was very tricky at the time So and very difficult because we were low on cash flow. We were barely on break even e each month. But on the other hand, the MVP was still just an MVP. So we felt like we weren't ready for a serious investment until one point when we said okay now now we have to do it 
and uh, we felt that we're ready enough. So there was this year, a, a period of one year when we were a bit stalling, I guess. But on the other hand, some of the development was going on at the time. Mm. And it, it is, this is how it works in startups. So the more traction that you have, the more you're developed, the higher the evaluation you can get. So it's sort of a speculation. What is the best time for you to Okay, that makes sense. You essentially what you were trying to do is raise the valuation so you could go out and and raise more funds with giving less equity. And were you happy with the second the second exactly. uh, the second round? Like, how long is that going to last you? So we are currently spending it. So and it will last us At, until May next year. You're fundraising. That's why now. we're okay. fundraising now. And we're You're raising, raising okay, and and how are the subsequent rounds going in terms of um, in terms of like ease of finding people? Are the are the the current investors you know sort of helping you with follow on? Um, are they giving you? Um, are they helping with the with the you know the fundraising? How's it going? Yes, so the the upper part of the funnel is much easier. There are a lot of VCs with a lot of money searching for good startups. So it's easier, easy to find them. It's easy to speak with them. This part is easier. But then the lower part of the funnel is more, more uh, difficult than the previous rounds because the due diligence is fierce. So um, they go into every detail, what you do, how you do it. Because before there isn't so much to, to investigate. Now we are... A, a company which means uh, you need to investigate the tech how true it is you need to investigate the revenue uh, how is it structured and so on so this second part is more difficult we have received some help from current investors mostly by connecting us and with the current investor we have a pledge of 10% uh, of the investment already so because they have a sort of a physical limit what they can invest how much they can invest so, but they pledged to to cover ten percent. So, out of three mil, we're okay, actually looking sense. for two points. Okay, that makes sense. And so, talk to me about some of the um, some of the the sorts of issues that you're deal dealing with now. If you're because it sounds like there's a lot of um, corporate governance and and uh, you know doing the KYCs and how much of your day is spent doing that? Are you the one in, in primarily involved in in um, leading that? Because it sounds like it would probably almost be a full time job. Yeah, so most of the things regarding to corporate governance is managed by our office manager or we call her the finance officer actually. So um, not much of my time is spent with that. So the, the, most of the work regarding this comes with the multiple companies that we have. That we have. We are actually a UK company, headquarters in the UK and the UK company owns the Slovenian and Croatian company which means that um, a lot of work with that comes with uh, invoicing um, between companies and then just a lot of, we have more than 3000 translators in our base that we work with, about 400 regularly. And there's a lot of work with that, with sending invoices from all over the world and different uh, regulations. So I can say our accounting and our finance officer so is this is this part of the eight it's it's not the agency work it's part of the service services component of the of Taya. is that correct okay so um i didn't um i didn't catch i didn't catch on to that so how does that structure work if you have 400 you guys have 35 employees say i i was presuming that that, that was the trans the translation arm was in there but so so t t tell me about how you found these um, translators and how that works um in the service mm -hmm. so in general all our platform has two parts one part is a service part where we offer high quality professional translation and the other part are many SaaS modules when we have for now one product and we're going to have a series of products and they're all going to be software and subscription based. But this first product is they're actually complementary to other software products. So this first part requires a lot of manual or a lot of work. So we have our project management team, vendor management team. Uh, we have three translators that are... Um, employed but the rest are out there 
So Taya, the service part of Taya is not a marketplace because we want to assure the highest quality. We organize the actual translation. So when we get an order, we in th this part operates as an LSP or as a translation agency, but highly optimized. So which means that we have found 3000 translators, we have vetted them, uh, tested them, onboarded them, and they are now in our base for the variety of language combinations and, and ca service categories. So um, that's how we can assure the highest quality Okay. Can you walk me through when you sort of branched that out? Because is that sort of did that evolve from the agency? Um, you know, getting all of these because to me it sounds like a marketplace. How is it not a marketplace? Uh, the marketplace would be when we would connect the vendor with the buyer. Okay, You're, it's all sort of behind us, the, the. It's the, behind the, the platform. The you guys are doing all that. The the client doesn't really they. They don't know. Exactly. Okay, okay that, that makes sense. Um, and what's the breakdown now in terms of revenues? Uh, currently, 80% of the revenue still comes from the service part, 20 from SaaS. But next year, I'm sure this is going to change because the service part can only grow organically and the SaaS part can grow exponentially. So uh, the next two SaaS modules that we're going to actually three that we're going to input into the platform one will, will be machine translation as a professional service because we're getting more and more demand for only machine translation not a post editing tool but machine translation where you drag and drop the document get immediately translated with the formatting intact and then the second will be a tm management solution where companies can can have that solution for themselves so translation memory management solution and the other and then the third will be Actually, the whole platform, we, we call it the translation management software. It's sort of an ERP that we built for ourselves. We're going to start as a subscription offering it to other companies. Those are more complex companies that have their own lo localization departments. They have teams and then they want to organize the whole translation flow by themselves. So that will be our actually fourth uh, Okay, so it's 80% is coming from the services and um, what kind of margins are you able to get on that? Is it because that seems like it would be very labor intensive? Is it is it pretty limited to, to growth? Are you going to try and phase that that side of your business out, or it sounds like you wouldn't really ever be able to do? It'd be quite handy to have that network of, of translators to always be checking the work, but you're trying to build up and grow the SaaS component of of the uh, um, of the of the uh, of the business is that is that what you're most mostly focusing on you're like even though 80 percent is from the services component you're trying to put your resources into the software and how's that going exactly so um for example the margin in the in the service part is about 60 percent while in the software part much higher it's about 90 percent it depends a bit how well the software is done but um, yes, and so until the previous year, we were uh, mostly focused on setting the, the pillars, which means that we were focused a lot on the service part. But today we're almost 90% focused on the SaaS part because we know that that can grow. But again, it's very important to, to understand the, the concept of the whole platform because the service part is the crucial part of the platform. So. A customer, when they come into the platform, they want to solve any kind of their translation needs and high quality human translations are still going to be very much a fact for the next 10 years. And when you want a 10 million euro contract translated, you won't be able to, to trust a machine yet. And it's the same with a, a catalog or, or any other things. But what we've been able to do is optimize the processes. One is the, the whole logistics of the file and the second is the translation process itself. So today, none of the documents are being translated in an, from scratch. Every document is being, so professional translators are doing only machine translation post-editing. Yeah. And they are much faster. And let me give you a, a statistics example. So for example, you input a document and the document is being split, split into segments. You can say a segment is a, a sentence or a paragraph. So for example, a document has 
1,000 segments that need to be translated. And for example, the, the translator confirms that the segment is perfect or corrects it and then confirms. And what we figured is that the MT is getting so good that more than 70% of segments are being only confirmed by a professional translator and not corrected anymore. And you see the efficiency here when you put the machine translation in general, it, it doesn't matter where it comes from, but the, the, the combination that we use, our translators are much more efficient, much yeah, that faster. Makes, that makes sense. Yeah. The, the um, in terms of the, um, in terms of combining the two, you, I, I gather that you're using your own, um, your own software for the translators and that's what's making it so much faster and easier. So, so even so that, that service component, you still have a big software component of that because you're using your own tech for, for them. Exactly. And that's why the margins can be relatively, I mean, cause 60% is still good for a services business, right? So, um, and you're using your own software. Are there been any, uh, any sort of, um, your big crisis, crisis management guy, what are some of the big, um, um, some of the the lows of the big problems that you've had to solve, um, you know, getting this going and making the trend, you know, the transition from the agency to the software. What are some of the big um, things that you've had to to go in and use those skills that you have in the crisis management? Yeah, every company has crises. So the first was definitely when we ran out of money with the first investment. So that year of just. Um, bootstrapping that was difficult so a lot like, of tell, like, like give me an example of what, what so was difficult like what was some of the things going on um some of the the, the core challenges or mm -hmm. uh, do you have so for example we were not liquid so we, which means that um we were late with payments for not not only the vendors even our own staff or for rent so, for example, I needed to renegotiate how we will pay rent. I needed to lay off. I needed to to apologize to vendors and so on. So when when we had real uh, liquidity problems, I had tons of work with with only that with um, dealing with day to day problems and motivating myself that we're going to make it and then motivating others even more because yeah that's right it doesn't look good if you can't you pay your bills can you talk to me about that period like what were you where were you living like did you have to um you know kind of move back in with your parents or anything like that no 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 so our personal lives in that case weren't involved weren't impacted okay we we had a low wage but either way, so I personally had some uh, accumulation from previous businesses before starting Taya. I actually made two small exits, so I, I had some personal accumulation. So my personal life in that case wasn't wasn't uh, impacted, but the business itself was. But I didn't have additional funds to to put into business, so it was. Yeah. So at that time, you sort of. Um what was what was getting you through that time i mean what was you, you know you're just like what you know you're at a point the business is sort of not being able to pay your bills some of the employees are questioning whether uh this is this project was going to work what made you so uh, sure that it was going to work i don't know it's just i guess it's mindset it's faith in the business model in in, in the business firstly you have to have general motivation or ambition to, to do something good. So th that is the the basic plateau that, that you need to have as a person. Each entrepreneur needs to have that. And then uh, I just believed in the, in the business model that the idea is good enough and that we just need to go Did go you have any it. coaching so, or anything um, to help you through that? Because mindset can be so important for entrepreneurs and it sounds like you have a very positive mindset. Was there, what, were you doing anything to work on that? At the time, I didn't, but I don't know. I, I consider myself as a person that has a very, very high stress stress threshold. I don't know where I, where I got that, but um, sometimes w w when it comes to this, when, when other people say I can't do it anymore, I, I, I just can't. So 
I don't know. But that it's that's what you were saying and, about and, with the and, crisis and, management and is one no. of your top skills, right? Which is great for a CEO to be able to navigate those because every company has them, of course. You know, it's not always just roses. Um, so you you've um, exactly. you've you've got to the point where you are now. How are things? Um, how are things going now? Is it like how was COVID for you in terms of growth? It sounds like it was probably pretty good. So there was some impact on the industry in general, only 6% drop in the whole industry. The industry was not impacted directly, but indirectly. For example, the, the main buyers of translator translations, they canceled a lot of international projects because of COVID. And then subsequently, of course, uh, there were less projects there. So we, we had some setbacks, but not as much. And organization wise, we are a very I would call it liberal, modern organization. For example, we we really are you have are you a remote economy. first company? Are you a remote work, first? You're, are you a remote first Sorry? company? Mm, not so much remote first, but when you start working for Taya, it doesn't matter okay. where you work from. So uh, if you have an option to work from the office somewhere, of course you're very welcome to come but uh, okay. far from obligatory. So um, in this case, we really uh, harvest the, the new ways of working, motivation 3.0, agile, scrum, and so on. And with the new generations, generations uh, Y, Z, millennials, it, it proves yeah, to that be makes very sense. good. Um, and in terms, of, um, in terms of like your future for the software, the, what, any big projects that you have um, in mind, like what are some of your big goals in, in the upcoming uh, um, years? Sure, so we want to become the platform for business translations in general. So the platform you go to as a company when you have any kind of translation need, small or big. So, um, we are currently, as I said, finishing our empty module that we're going to offer as a SaaS, so machine translation as a professional service, and then variety of different services. I could say our business model is becoming similar to HubSpot, for example, where, where you come into the platform, some of it is free, and then you just pick different modules and different packages of subscriptions that, that you want to use because the service itself when it comes to translations it's so so vastly different there are so different needs so many different services so many different languages at the end so um you really need to give that option that freedom and currently who is the who is want. the leading um space who's the leading SaaS in this space wow difficult to say who's leading for example i could mention a company unbabel i've heard of they, them yeah uh, they are very big they got 90 million funding but they're mostly focused on customer support other things as well so um, there are plenty so w when i mentioned the the how the the market looks like so 80 percent is still held by traditional agencies while 20 percent by this progressive tech companies that that are changing the the system so there is still a lot of potential to grow and um, this 20% that there actually are competitors direct indirect it depends how you call them but um, either way some of them are you, see, you mentioned you're well. a serial entrepreneur is your does your end goal like do you have an end goal for that I mean are you trying to if you want to become number one I mean is this a potential unicorn play like billion dollar um, you know, for you to get to grow, or would if somebody came and and offered you say twenty million right now, would you would you would you get out and go and and do something new? A very difficult question. A very difficult. So either way, we have a unicorn potential, but it's all up to us, and of course, some market scenarios, some luck at the end, uh, if we can make it or not. So it's a dilemma that, that a lot of their entrepreneurs had. So there, there were cases where entrepreneurs said no, and then they sell, sell, sold their company for 100 million. And there were cases when they, they said yes, and the company went bankrupt in the next year. So it's really yeah, a I mean, obviously you were question. early on in the growth curve, Problems. but you know, it's just interesting to, to hear what entrepreneurs, you know, what their vision is for their company, um, you know, Especially ones that yeah. Today no. I would probably say no, but um, sometimes you need to sit. It depends on on a 
some entrepreneurs are late and tired and there there's a variety of reasons why they choose something maybe they they see a potential in the business but they're tired so i personally am not tired okay, so that i'm makes ready sense. to fight um, and, and have many fights so in in this regard my my answer would be probably no but still the end result for me is yeah. exit. Well, it sounds like the, the company is, yes. uh, has a lot in terms of assets the the network of translators very valuable and um, the IP and um, it sounds like um, you're on the right path. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to um, thank you so much for your your time, Marco. Um, could you last question is um, what would you tell your former self in 2017 if you could tell yourself one thing at that time from the all the things that you've learned um, in your journey? What would you tell your former self? I would say firstly like keep the faith so just persistence is key and secondly I would say build habits I would give myself some suggestions which with, books which would books would those, which books would you uh, have um, yourself read then Presu you know presuming that those books were out then for example the power of habits and then for example never split the yeah. difference from Voss and some books that really sorry what was the first uh, one atomic habits into yeah that's a very um, good one yeah. yeah atomic habits yeah yeah or the the power of habit they're, they're quite similar but uh, i read uh -huh. now about 50 books a year actually yeah. read listen mostly audio that's great and they really give me a lot so it's sort of so a reading would you say that is reading. that a new habit that you started since you that you started this uh, startup and that's contributed to 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 some of your success exactly there are, there are many habits reading is definitely one of them and then regarding health and just uh, exercising okay. and so on but reading definitely okay very one, good one of the important ones and another book i would say is reading. mastery okay mastery i've not read i've not read that one. i've Amazing. read the other two never split the difference in it i read 50 i i had a um resolution to read 50, one book a week for the year i did uh, and and so the same as you, right? It's wow. not not to us. It's not that big of a deal. But now I'm getting closer to seventy, and I've, I'm on my fourth year of doing that, and I don't even count it as a wow. resolution anymore. It's just a habit, as you say. So it's very powerful. So um, and mm -hmm. it really is, yeah. It's a great habit. Yeah, it really is. Um, and where can people find you if they want to follow up or ask, find out about um, your your great service? Where, where obviously. Um, Taya, we'll have it in the sh in the um, show notes. But if people want to reach out and talk to you about specifics of any any topics that we've discussed, how can people reach you? So either way, our website is taya.io, T-A-I-A.io. Otherwise, my email, marco at taya.io. I'm available on LinkedIn as well. As I guess every entrepreneur, I'm always open. I read all the LinkedIn messages that I get. So as an entrepreneur, uh, I always have my eyes open for anything interesting that I see. So anyone that writes to me, I won't. Okay. Uh, Thank you so much for shut. your time, Marco. Very uh, interesting chat. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner. <music>